The following message is by Pastor Andrew Beto, pastor of First Baptist Church of Orchard, Texas. More information on First Baptist Church Orchard can be found at fbcorchard.com. We were getting ready for Family Sunday this Sunday, and I got to tell you, a lot of times I'm a little bit apprehensive about Family Sunday because we have everybody in here and I get kind of worried. Um, and as is so often the case, the, the fact of something is often far worse than the actual event. We spend all this time worrying about things and getting ready for things, and then when it actually happens, it's usually pretty good. Um, one of the most salient examples of that in my life was when I was in Iraq, um, I spent huge amounts of time worrying about the first firefight that I would get in. I was an infantry guy, and that's what we do, right? We get into firefights with other people, and we, we you know, shoot and do all this kind of crazy, chest-thumping, manly stuff, right? And when you're, when you're in a combat zone like that, one of, the, one of the things that's difficult to understand is that you are scared to death about going into combat, and you are scared to death that you will never go into combat. Right? You, you have these two sides of this conflict in your mind. Part of you is desperately afraid that you're going to die, and the other part of you is desperately afraid that you're going to leave country without ever having seen anything. And so as I go back and look through my diary that I kept, I, I can see where I would write all this stuff down about how scared I was that I was never going to get into the fight. And then when we finally got into the fight, and we're driving up and down the roads and getting IED'd and getting blown up. I'm scared out of my mind all the time. I'm scared constantly. And I've got 40 guys that are relying on me and I am petrified that I'm gonna screw something up or that I'm gonna get somebody killed or that I'm gonna, that I'm gonna make a mistake or that I'm gonna embarrass myself. That I'm gonna be that guy that ends up curled up in a little ball at the bottom of, of my vehicle crying because we're getting shot at. And I was scared all the time. And then one morning, we were evacuating casualties out of Fallujah, and they would load them in our vehicles, and we would go down the road. And I can remember sitting up in, in the turret, and I can remember seeing fireflies start to dance on the road. And I was like, that's bizarre. They don't have fireflies in Iraq. What, what is this? And what I was seeing was tracers. And we were in the middle of an ambush. We were in the middle of an ambush from both sides of the road. The, the Iraqis had come up on either side of the road and were shooting RPGs at us. And I can remember that in an instant, it was like something clicked. And I wasn't scared anymore. I was in the middle of the firefight, I wasn't scared anymore. And then I just remember flashes of things that happened. I can remember uh, shooting uh, my machine gun until the barrel got so hot that it became a runaway gun. Like it, it, you, the trigger didn't work anymore, it just was going. It was like a water hose. Just, And I can remember running out of ammunition and having to fix it. I remember starting taking fire from the other side of the road and I had to break the link and move over and start engaging. I remember that we didn't have any grenades because we didn't break them out of the packaging. And the, the, they were so close to us that we had to shoot down out of the vehicles. I can remember watching my guys do magazine change drills and it's all in slow motion and I can remember not being afraid, not because I was brave, but because it was so quick that I don't, I didn't have time. I was just in the moment and I was reacting. 
all of my anxiety, all of my worry, all of the things that I had been scared about, ultimately didn't amount to anything. Because when the event actually occurred, God had me in the palm of his hand. And the reason I know that is because when we got through the ambush, when it was finally done and we had cleaned up and we pushed on to, to the place that we were going to, I looked around and, and I, I got to admit something to you. Whenever we would get done with something like that, I would, I would do a check. I would check myself to make sure I was okay, partly because I wanted to make sure I was okay and partly because I was looking for that million-dollar wound, the little, the little piece of shrapnel that would look cool, that would get me a purple heart so I'd get all the benefits, but I wouldn't have to actually lose my arm. So I was like, I'd look around, and so I'd be like, I'm good. Man, good. You know? But then I started looking around, and I had shrapnel in my camelback behind me, and I had shrapnel in my, my weapon. It was broken because it had shrapnel in it. I had bullet holes in the side, and I was okay. I, I was fine. Nothing had touched me. And so much of life is like this. We spend so much of our lives worried about things that are going to come that we don't enjoy and we can't live where we are. You know, and this isn't a new thing either. This isn't something that we just do now or that people just do when they're in combat. This is something that occurred at the same time that Jesus was here. This is something that Jesus spoke specifically about. Jesus' disciples were worried all the time. As you read through the Gospels, you see that the disciples were worried all the time. And they were worried about all kinds of stuff. They were worried about whether they were all going to die. They were worried about who was going to be great in the kingdom of God. Like when, when the kingdom of God came in, who was going to be the best dude there? Right? They, they were worried about, about what would happen to Christ. Was he really going to die? Was he not going to die? They were worried all the time. And Jesus was constantly talking to them about this and saying, this stuff is going to happen, don't be worried. Which is kind of, a, kind of a, a paradox when somebody comes to you and says, hey, you guys are going to be persecuted, it's going to be really bad, but don't worry about it. Right, okay. I'm going to go and I'm going to die, but don't be worried about it. So how does that work? How are we supposed to live under the present threat of persecution, of martyrdom, of living out a Christian life in a hostile world and not worry about it. Well, Jesus tells us. See, we are to not be consumed by anxiety because we are the children of a good God. And he is in control of all things. We are the children of a good God and he is in control of all things. And I, I want to ask you this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is in control? Because so often the seed of our anxiety is the fact that we have a low view of God. See, we say God is all-powerful, God is in control, but we don't really believe that. Whether, whether we admit it or not, most of us have a view of God shaped by our world, shaped by something called deism. And deism is the idea that God is a clockmaker who set everything up, who wound the clock, and then did this, and just watched it unfold. We see a God who exists outside of our world and doesn't involve himself in our world and doesn't impose himself on our world. He's just there like a cosmic voyeur looking through the window going, dude, I wonder what he's going to do next. 
But see, that's not the view of God that we get from Scripture. The view of God that we get from Scripture is as a, of a God who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful, and who is intimately involved in his creation. And I want you to think about what that means. God is all-knowing. He knows everything. He sees everything. There is no place that you can go where you can hide from God. There is nothing that you can do that is in secret that God does not know about. That should give you a moment of pause. God knows all of your thoughts, even the ones that you think on 59 at 5 o'clock in the morning in traffic. He sees that. Right? When you're on the beltway at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, waiting in the tow line, God sees what you're thinking. All of it. Right? He knows everything. He sees all things. And he sees the future and the past in one moment. Okay? He knows everything that is going to happen to you. The scripture says that he knows the number of your days. Right? From when you are born to when you die, he sees your entire life in one, in one span. There is nothing that is hidden from him. And he is all-powerful. Right? He, he made the world. By a, by a spoken word, he upholds all, three, all things. Everything is undergirded by him. He is outside of our world, holding it all up and holding it all together. He is infinitely beyond anything that we could comprehend and infinitely more powerful than anything that we can conceptualize. That is what I mean by God being all-knowing and all-powerful. And that, in and of itself, is scary. But the thing that is even more scary is the fact that this God, who is all-powerful and all-knowing, cares about what happens in this world. He cares so much about what happens in this world that he involves himself over and over and over again. Throughout time, he steps in. He cares about what we think. He cares about the way that we act. He cares about the way that we interact with our community. He cares about all of these things. He is active in his creation, so active in his creation that he put on flesh and took our place and died for us. That's pretty active. You can't get more concerned than dying for someone else. Like there, there's no way you can be more concerned than that. If you can, text me, but I don't think you're going to find one. Okay? He is all-knowing, he is all-powerful, and he is deeply concerned with what happens here. What does that mean? That means we do not go through our lives with a feeling of lostness and emptiness that we are alone and adrift in a world. Because no matter where we go, there is a God who cares about us and who has the power to change things. There is never a time in your life that you are alone. Can you imagine that? There is never a time in your life that you will ever be alone because God is always there. See, God is all-powerful, but that's not enough to banish anxiety. Right? Just having an all-powerful, all-knowing, intimately involved God isn't enough. Because what if that God's a jerk? Right? What if he's not a good guy? What if he's, what if he's mean? Right? That, that, that makes reality really harsh. 
If you have an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing God who is not a good God, that's a bad deal. So you've got to understand that God is good. That God is sovereign. He orders all things, but he also is a good God who cares for his creation. He cares for his people. See, uh, so often we feel anxiety, we feel worry, because we don't trust that God is good. We don't trust that God is looking out for us, that God has our best interests in mind. And, and so in, in response to this, Jesus starts talking to his people and he starts reminding them of things. And he starts saying, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? See, he is reminding them that God has promised that he will provide food for his people. Now, this is not some petty thing, right? A, a lot of you guys have felt hunger before. It's the hunger before a meal, right? Like, hey, my meal is, is, is late, or it's Thanksgiving, and I've been storing up some room so I can eat and gorge myself in the afternoon. That's not what hunger is. Hunger is the absence of food for a long time. And these people in this place, in Galilee, understood what it was like to live in the constant threat of famine. Everybody that he was talking to was one bad rainy season away from famine. We have a drought here and it's like, oh no, I can't water my lawn. It's going to turn brown. In their world, if it didn't rain, you didn't have food, and people started dying. You watched your children die. So they understood what hunger was. And yet God, in the form of Jesus, is talking to them and saying, don't worry about that. I want you to think about how weird that sounds like. I could, I'm one bad rainy season away from my children dying of starvation, and you're telling me not to worry? And Jesus is saying, yes, don't worry. And let me tell you why. Because your God knows what you need all the time. And he is the God who provides for his people all the time. See, Jesus knew from scripture. He knew that God provided. He knew that God fed his people in the garden. He knew that he provided for Abraham and his family during a time of famine. He knew that he fed the children of Israel in the desert with manna and quail every day. He served a God who provided but it, it wasn't just academic for Christ. See, Christ had been through a time of testing. He'd been through a time of trial. He'd been in the desert for 40 days. He knew what it was like to stare starvation in the face and wait on the provision of God. And Satan comes to him and says, hey, just make some bread out of stones. Just make some bread. Be okay. And yet Jesus says no, for man doesn't live on bread alone. And God rewarded his faithfulness with food. See, God, Jesus understands what it means to trust in God for your sustenance. And he's telling them God provides for the birds of the sky and he provides for the people in the past and he can be expected. It can be taken to the bank that he will provide for you. And not just food. God provides clothing. He provides shelter. He says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor, they do not spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in his entire splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, 
Even you of little faith. See, God demonstrated throughout history that he is willing and able to provide for the needs of his people. I want you to think back to the Garden of Eden. The first man and the first woman, they sin. And they see that they're naked and they cover themselves with fig leaves. And you know what, Christ, you know what God does? God looks down at them in the midst of their sin, in the midst of the sin that they caused. And he goes and kills one of the animals that he created and he makes clothes for them. Because that is the God that we serve. The God that we serve provides for us. The God that we serve sacrifices and provides for us. Worry is sinful because it denies these attributes of God. When we worry about these things, we deny that we serve a God who provides for us. Jesus goes and tells them, this is what the pagans do. This is what the Gentiles do. The Gentiles worry, and they think that they have to convince God to feed them, and they think that they have to manipulate God through sacrifices. This is not who we are, and this is not who we serve. See, we serve a God that is sovereign, who loves us, and who's promised to provide for us. And i got to ask you, do you believe that God is going to provide for you? Do you believe that he can provide for you and the ones that you care about? See, God promised to provide for us the, what we need to live. Now, I, I want to be clear here. This doesn't mean that we're not going to have to struggle in life. Right? This doesn't mean that we're going to go ahead and be rich. Right? I'm not promising you a Bentley out there. I'm not even promising you one of those Bentley headpieces you can put on your car and make it look like a Bentley. I'm not promising any of that. We know that this life is filled with struggle. Amen? We know that we have to go to work to earn our bread here. We know what that looks like. And that's part of the human condition. Part of living in a fallen world is the fact that we have to bring our bread from the ground. That we have to feed our families with the sweat of our brow. We know that. There ain't no easy 70s in this, in this life. I don't care who, what anybody tells you. No easy 70. There is no free ride. But see, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about concern. We're not talking about going out and earning, a, earning your living. We're talking about worrying where it consumes you, where you cannot live your life because you're worried about what tomorrow's going to bring. Because you know what Jesus says? He says, tomorrow's got enough problems for itself. You were about today. You deal with today. Because you know what? You may not open your eyes up tomorrow. See, we are not to worry. Because God has promised that he will give us the means and the opportunity to feed ourselves and to feed our families. And we have to trust that. Even when it doesn't look like it's going to happen. See, we are not to worry. We're not to be anxious. Instead, we are to trust the Lord. We are the children of a loving God who is in control of all things. And when we spend our lives in constant worry, we rob ourselves of the joy that we are supposed to have in this life. And that joy is our job. Guys, that's not ancillary, that's not extra, that's not on the side, that's not on top. Our joy is the way that we glorify God. We glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And so Jesus said, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles er eagerly seek all these things 
For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow. See, worry is pointless because it doesn't change anything. It is fundamentally pointless. We like to think that we have the power over life and death and that if we just think about it a little bit more, maybe we can stave it off a little bit more. Right? That if I eat the right things, if I do the right things, if I do, you know, uh, if I do CrossFit or power yoga or whatever it is, that I'll live to be forever. That I won't die. You know what God says? God says that he holds the power over life and death. God declares this about himself in Deuteronomy. He says, see now that I myself am he. There is no God beside me. I put death and I bring life. I have wounded and I will heal and no one can deliver out of my hands. See, he designed life and humanity with limits and they are under his control, not ours. He says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal. He has set these. We don't set them. It's not our program. It's not our game. We are on somebody else's program. It's his world. We just live in it. You are not the God of this world. And you don't get to impose your will on it. This is the human condition. To live in a world and not be in control. And being a Christian means understanding that and being okay with it. Job says it this way, a person's, day are, a person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set a limit. He cannot exceed. Guys, we can't escape mortality. No matter how scared we are or how anxious we are, we cannot escape our lot in life. And so all we can do is to do what Jesus is encouraging us to do here, to live to trust, to know that God is there for us and to accept the help that he has for us. See, Jesus is encouraging disciples to live out their lives in peace and in prayer to God and to lift up all these anxieties to him. Later on in the gospel, he'll, he'll make this analogy. He'll say, what man among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give you good things to those who seek him and ask for him? See, the point of all of this is not for us to live in some kind of, in some kind of nihilistic nightmare where nothing is, means anything and it's all dark and everybody is born alone and dies alone. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that we live in an uncertain world in the hands of an all-powerful, controlling good God. You don't have to be anxious about it because God has it. Somebody who has far more control over you, somebody who has far more power, someone who is far more good than you, has it. And no matter what happens, he is there and he is good. See, we know that God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean that everything is good for everybody, right? But it means that those who are called according to his purpose, those who are in the body of Christ, God works all things for good. Now, I want you to hear me here. Good does not mean that I never get sick, I never die, nothing bad ever happens, and I'm rich. 
That's not what it means. But it means that God will ultimately work all things together for good. It means that all things will ultimately come together with you in paradise with God. See, God will give you the strength for today. He will give you the strength to face tragedy. He will give you hope when everything is falling in around you. He is the anchor that will hold you in place. We, we just got done talking about how my brother-in-law has been in ICU for a week. And we were pretty sure he was going to die for a couple days there. He didn't know his own name. He didn't know where he was. He didn't know anything. He had some kind of weird virus that they still don't know what it is. He had encephalitis, which is where your brain is swelling, and meningitis, which is where your spinal column is, is, is swelling. This is bad stuff. He couldn't eat. He couldn't drink. And yet God upheld him, and God protected him, and God gave his family peace. See, that's the God that we serve. The God that we serve upholds us and keeps us safe. But brothers and sisters, if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this. Sometimes that help doesn't come. Sometimes tragedy happens. And that does not make God any less good. See, in the midst of tragedy, our God is still there. In the midst of tragedy, our God is still there. He is the God that brings beauty from ashes. Right? He brings, he brings peace in the morning and he gives us strength for the new day. That's the God that we serve. That even when everything goes south, when the whole building falls in on us and everything falls apart, he is the God that's upholding us and keeping us safe. Shannon's father passed away five years ago yesterday. And he was in his mid-40s, and it was a horrible tragedy. And, and I can remember being at the hospital all night as, as the family was gathering to say goodbye to this man, and, and it was exhausting. It was exhausting. And, and I, I went out to go get coffee after he had passed away. I went to get coffee for everybody from Starbucks in the medical center, and I remember walking outside, and the sun was coming up, and thinking and understanding what this means. God brings peace in the morning. God brings healing in the midst of tragedy. And this horrible, gut-wrenching thing. God brought peace to the family. We were talking the other day about how my, my little niece, Jenna, was born on the same day that Shannon's dad died. And so... Even in the midst of all of this, this day that should be horrible in our memories for the rest of our life is now tinged with new life. It's, it's tinged with the birthday of, of our niece. This is what God does. This is what beauty from ashes means. That even when it's darkest, God will still bring life. We cannot live in fear of tragedy. We cannot live in fear that bad things will happen because guys, bad things will happen. It's what you do when that happens that defines who you're gonna be. 
when, when we finally got back after our, after our ambush and our firefight, we pulled into the base. Everybody's, everybody's adrenaline wore off. The cold sweats hit. I'm not going to lie. Smoked a cigarette. That's what I did when I was in country. Okay, I'm not proud of it, but we, we, we came down off the day, and we got the shakes. We got the shakes. And then we got rid of the shakes. And you know what we did next? I said, break out the grenades. Everybody gets a grenade. Everybody gets two grenades. Who wants three? We got ready because we had to go back down the same road we got ambushed on. That's how it is, guys. Every day, day in, day out, you're going to go out into a hostile world, and you're going to have to deal with it. You can't hide in your bedroom. You can't hide under your bed because it'll find you. What you do is you trust in a God who has you in the palm of his hand and who will make it all right regardless of what happens. So as you get ready to go back into the week, you pick yourself up, you go back out there. You know that God's got it. Don't be anxious about the world. Don't be anxious about tomorrow because the day has enough trouble for itself. And we serve a God who is good, a God who is loving, and he's got it. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me, please. Dear sweet Jesus, God, thank you so much for all of the blessings that you have given us. Thank you for being a God who never leaves us, who never forsakes us, who never drops us. Thank you for being a God who upholds us even when things are bad. God, I pray that if there are people in this room who do not know that joy, who do not know what it's like to serve a God who has them in the palm of his hand, that they would accept you this morning. God, I ask that you would be with us and send us out into this world to do your will this week, unafraid of the things that are out there, because we know that you are there with us. And God, I ask these things in your holy name. Amen.